0: Oftentimes, autistic individuals and their family members face blame, shame, and rejection, typically from those who are misinformed about the nature of autism. Today, we focus on how to spot the stigma and the importance of stopping it. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah, and I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is embracing, embracing autism. autism. Woo! So it is Autism Acceptance I, Month, and this is an important topic.
1: <laughs> I was to say we're like half, we're like halfway through it. Like we're cruising right through.
0: Halfway through the month, we are specifically targeting topics that we think are really closely related to the acceptance piece of Autism Acceptance Month. Today's episode is about stopping the stigma. Stigma is basically just like the negative thoughts and actions towards either parents of autistic kids or autistic adults or children themselves in society and culture. That's kind of a really brief summary of what it means. We have certainly experienced it.
1: I think as soon as I had like reached out to like family friends as soon as our kids had gotten diagnosed. And as soon as I mentioned like, oh, they've gotten the, uh, an autism diagnosis, I had some individuals like the first thing that they said was, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I was kind of like taken back a little bit. because I mean, I didn't really know much or anything about autism, but it was just interesting that the first reaction was immediately apologetic of, oh, I'm so sorry. And then there was never anything else beyond that. And it was just kind of like, I don't know, it sat weird with me. But I mean, I mean, this kind of goes right in line with the stigma of autism.
0: What sparked my interest in this, and I guess that's a pun unintentionally, was actually an article that I had read from Spark for Autism. Spark for Autism is this program that does basically like genetic testing to try to figure out the causes of autism and they do a lot of research. And so it was one of their articles that I saw that actually triggered my interest in this. The article is called The Stigma of Autism When Everyone is Staring at You. And it walks you through this story of a person named Kathy Wilcox who was autistic themselves and was bullied when she was a child. And so what she describes in this article is how she was essentially blamed for her classmates taunting her. And it's really like a form of gaslighting. And honestly, it's something that I personally have experienced too growing up when I didn't know about these diagnoses that I would ultimately get. Because at the time, I didn't have the diagnosis. So oftentimes, if you are socially awkward or behaving in a way that society doesn't deem appropriate, they kind of stigmatize that behavior and just assume or assign a reason for it. And of course, they'll assign things like you're just a bad kid or you're just undisciplined. So that's part of that stigma piece that we're talking about today.
1: I mean, it just kind of seems like a weird dynamic. So I'm not sure. Like, I mean, I think of like me in high school being like a class clown, but I was acting out. So, I mean, obviously I was like misbehaving, but I guess if someone didn't know the social structure as well, as far as like exactly like step-by-step, like how to act in like a social setting, it could be perceived as like, maybe they are disrupting the class unnecessarily. And that's why I wasn't sure if it'd be kind of going down that rabbit hole as well.
0: Yeah, that's like the ADHD piece. Like one of my siblings who has pretty severe ADHD was in the principal's office every single week in elementary school. I mean, sorry, not every week, every day. She was sent there every single day for what they would consider misbehavior. But really, it was just that she had severe ADHD and there were no accommodations. In this article, I just want to kind of like go through it a little bit for our listeners out there. You can see the article on the video portion, but I'll just talk through it. One of the comments that stood out to me was that basically when she was in school in fifth grade, the school itself was blaming her (laughs) to her face, essentially, for her being bullied. So she was being taunted by classmates and she was being bullied by classmates. And she says that the guidance counselor told her parents that she should see that as constructive criticism and that she should then try to fit in better. When I read that, I was like, I need to talk about this because this is so frustrating. And you would think that this is in the past, but it's not. This this sort of behavior still happens today in schools.
1: Gosh, you kind of shake your head sometimes where it's just kind of like the terrible advice or terrible things that are said to the parents? Because I mean, at the same time, I'm sure that the parents were also receiving blame as well for what they believe that they should have been taught younger years or something. So, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't just stop with the daughter. I'm sure, like, there's also, like, blame that's kind of pushed to the parents as well.
0: Yeah, actually, it's funny that you say that because, like, as the article goes, it says that decades later, so she was in fifth grade, so decades later now, it says that this time she's an adult, she has her own kid. She now faces blame and rejection again amongst her peers. But it's now because she was the mother of a child who stared at fans. It says he didn't understand taking turns and he would have a lot of those autistic outbursts and meltdowns. She experienced this social rejection again as a parent. It says that she basically kept getting disapproving looks from other parents and even in the preschool program. So I'm going to quote what she says here. She says, the stink eyes I got from the parents were unreal. That's totally relatable and really frustrating because particularly as somebody who not just was autistic, but like even you, like you grew up with ADHD, dyslexia, other disabilities, you weren't even autistic and you still grew up with this like stigma. So then to become adults of children who are also disabled and kind of relive the stigmatization that we experience as children, that can be traumatic. Like a lot of these parents, who are parents of children who have disabilities, oftentimes there's some sort of genetic component and it's very likely that that parent themselves has a learning disability or something similar. Therefore, when we experience this sort of social isolation and rejection from our peers as adults, it can be a little bit traumatic and make you relive that same trauma you experienced as a child. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle in a way.
1: This directly is one of our biggest fears as parents either the bullying or just kind of the not really feeling like accepted as part of the community, whether that's in, I mean, our kids case preschool or as they get older uh, through regular school. I mean, I think that's the one thing that really keeps me up most nights uh, when we're kind of just thinking of different situations for the future of how things will happen, how our parenting will differ as the years go by. Cause I mean, I always hear the stories where it's like a kid invites everyone in their class to a birthday party, but then no one shows up and I can very easily see potentially like our kids being that case study essentially. Like, I mean, I like to believe that they are like making friends and being welcomed into like the social groups at school you never really know i mean it's always kind of what the teacher is telling you so you're always kind of up in the air like are they genuinely like fitting into the social settings where they are kind of a valued member and they are seen kind of as a peer or are they being neglected and you're just not aware to what the situation truly is so i feel like for me as a parent i feel like that is kind of the worry some factor that kind of plays in where i'm hoping that my kids aren't just isolated just off alone on their own
0: Yeah. And the particular problem surrounding that with autism is it's very likely and probable that your child is not going to be able to tell you if they're experiencing any sort of bullying or isolation at school. They're likely either nonverbal or minimally verbal or just have communication difficulties. Or there's a lot of autistic kids who just don't understand the social implications of bullying. Like they don't even know or recognize that they're being bullied. They genuinely think that when some kid is making a joke, that that kid is actually trying to be their friend and be funny with them. And they don't recognize that they're actually being laughed at. And so that's part of that, like you can't quite rely on what you hear from your kid or even the school. So it does make this really tricky.
1: Well even the concept of like sarcasm like I mean that's a very questionable social interaction as well. Granted our kids are super young so as far as sarcasm that's a little bit beyond <laughs> what they're
0: uh, I don't know. Our oldest one, she's got some sass and sarcasm. <laughs> but that's
1: that's her projecting it outward, but I'm I'm thinking like if someone yeah. were to use sarcasm to her right. very subtly, I don't think that she would necessarily pick up that They're not being truthful to what they're saying, that they're doing it as kind of like a joke or just being facetious. So I do worry about that as well, that it's being misperceived that there potentially is a friend, but the friend is kind of like mocking them or like making fun of them, and they might not even know.
0: Yeah. There's so many issues with stigma. It impacts and touches so many facets of culture, society, and these families. Like, for instance, because of the stigma of autism, depending where you are, there's some cultures where it's like really considered taboo and you're completely ostracized from society if your child is considered autistic. I mean, there's places to this day that believe that if your child is autistic, it means they're like demonically possessed. So there's definitely a variety of different types of takes on the stigma, but there is stigma pretty much everywhere. Even here in the United States, there's a stigma. What we tend to see here, I guess what you would call the more first world version of the stigma is more how our society or culture views autism as a source of disappointment or annoyance or shame. If you are bringing your kid to the playground and they're autistic and and another family members there with their kid, they might see your kid stimming or vocalizing and get annoyed. They might get frustrated. They'll pull their kid away from yours because they think that it might be contagious. That's stigma that we actually experience here in America, where we are, you know, a first world country. You would think that we would be beyond that, especially with all our medical knowledge and advancements. But culturally speaking, I don't feel like we are there yet.
1: And I think that's also just the awareness to what autism really is, or obviously we're able to recognize it better now than when we found out about the diagnosis. But had we not found out about a diagnosis and we didn't get our kids diagnosed, I would probably fall into the category of if I see a kid screaming, yelling, throwing themselves on the ground at the playground, I'd probably be guilty of being the parent where I kind of tell my kids, oh, maybe like stay away. Like, I'm not really sure like what's going on there it might just be that kid is throwing a tantrum because they want chicken nuggets and ice cream or something. So (laughs) I I guess I would probably be guilty because I just didn't know. And I mean, I guess living in the ignorant mindset of there are other things at play. It's not always a fault of like the parents. It's not a fault of the child. Sometimes there's no fault to be had. It's just the situation that is, I mean, you, you can't really fault anyone. As far as like a meltdown or a sensory overload or anything along those lines. So, until there's more like awareness, there is still that worrisome mindset of other parents where it's like, oh, maybe like distance ourselves so you don't pick up any of those behaviors where it's not necessarily a behavior that they would pick up anyway. So, that's just my take on it.
0: It's kind of like the modern day version of like a leper, like what people would think that leprosy was contagious, but it's actually not. So, they would totally isolate those people and they become the pariah. So, sometimes that happens in today's. Society. I really wanted to pick up this line from this article here where it says that the shame and isolation experienced by people with autism and their families is similar to that experienced by other groups whose differences set them apart. But autism has some unique characteristics that have created almost the perfect storm for rejection, according to researchers. I thought that was a really interesting line because it's true. Because of the specific behavioral and social problems associated with autism, it makes it even harder for those who are on the spectrum to really navigate those conversations compared to, say, somebody with a physical disability or something like that. For example the behavioral aspect of autism. There's a lot of behaviors that society would see as either alarming, frightening, or threatening. So like the self-injurious behavior, when you see an autistic person in a meltdown and you see them beating their heads or you see them like really hurting themselves or charging at other people and trying to strangle them, like that is something that is very alarming and frightening for people who don't understand autism. And if you have a child who is male, grown and big, I mean, this even frightens parents. So it makes sense that society who's uninformed would also be frightened by it. But unfortunately, that adds to that stigma and it adds to the isolation that autistic people and families ultimately experience.
1: The article, I mean, makes sense if you think about, okay, different groups. So you could have a different group where it's someone of a different background, maybe a different culture. So someone who grew up in a different country, sure, they have a different life experience, but you're still able to find commonality and have the conversations to try and figure out, okay, where is this person coming from? And you can kind of see some of the similarities because various things are universal where it's kind of across the board. So you might be able to find some commonality among those and also other physical disabilities, unless you're having a specific conversation about that specific disability with that person, it likely wouldn't come up too much in conversation. I'm just thinking back to uh, when I was in college and one of my friends just had one arm. It really didn't impact much of anything. Occasionally he would make a joke about it and then we'd laugh and then like move on with every other conversation, but it, it really didn't, impact any other aspect of conversation, us playing sports, doing anything. It didn't have any impact on it because it was irrelevant. But if you are struggling with the social component, which is the link between other individuals, then I can see why that would be a more difficult challenge to try and overcome where you almost have to climb out of the hole essentially of trying to rebuild uh, any type of social communication with another person. So I can see why that might be a little bit more complicated.
0: Yeah, because When it comes to autism, the social piece is really difficult as well. So like your friend, for instance, with a physical disability is able to kind of smooth things over by using humor, wit and conversation. But you can't really do that when the problem that you have is like social difficulties and social challenges. So like one one of the other things that was mentioned in this article was how people also feel really uncomfortable with their personal space being violated or if they deem that certain social rules are being ignored, like, for example, if we're talking and I consistently jump in and interrupt you, people don't like that. People really, really don't like that. And because of that, I mean, there's one here that I think is even worse, laughing or making a noise at the wrong time. I think that's worse in the sense that people are really sensitive about that. I've seen instances of somebody who's like laughed when somebody said something that was actually like sad, and they couldn't tell that it wasn't sarcasm. like, you know, like your radars all the way off. And so those moments, like imagine laughing at the wrong time in a serious moment, and that could ultimately lead you to losing that friend or that partner or whoever it may be forever. And then that person will tell other people, oh my gosh, can you believe what this person said? And it just kind of grows from there. I definitely experienced that growing up. What I struggled with and still struggle with today is that I'm just a very blunt person. And I'm also a very observant person. I am always observing social interactions because as an autistic, you really kind of have to to survive. So I learned that growing up and I'm able to pick up on some things that most people don't pick up on. And so whenever I try to kind of use those in social situations, people don't like that. Like people are really put off by it because it's kind of eerie to them. Like I don't really understand why I think neurotypicals like having kind of like what I consider fake conversations where nobody addresses the elephant in the room. And I find that awkward. I'm like, there's an elephant in the room. Why are we not talking about it? This is weird. I don't get it. But it's like a big (laughs) faux pas to bring up the elephant in the room. And I have learned that the hard way. And that has resulted in me getting stigmatized growing up all the time.
1: I just have the vision of you walking into a room with like a bag of like peanuts and like... (laughs) Well, because you said like the elephant in the room and I'm like, everyone wants to avoid it. But Leah's walking into the room with like a bag of peanuts and you're like, let's feed this baby. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well,
1: you want to, you want to discuss the elephant in the room. So clearly you want to engage with the elephant. So you want to feed the elephant. So it like engages in the conversation, I suppose.
0: Yeah. The point that is really important about other people judging you and stigmatizing you as a parent when you're raising your child and they're experiencing these behaviors is that the behavior itself is not the only thing being judged. It's the parents being judged as well. You'll get the people who think you're a helicopter parent. You'll get the people who think that you are a lazy parent, that you just don't feel like, you know, disciplining your child. Or they might just assume that your child themselves has some sort of negative quality, like they might think that they're just a defiant child or a stubborn child or whatever it may be. But almost never do people assume the best. I don't know if you've noticed that, but people like human nature tends to be to assume the worst. And so I've never had somebody come up to me and just assume, oh, hey, I think your kid's probably struggling with some big emotions right now. Like that just doesn't happen. It's usually just like, wow, look at you, like get your kid under control. So that I thought was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I find that people usually assume that they're smarter than they really are. So therefore <laughs> they I mean, being totally honest. That's there, not a jab at um, me, right? <laughs> no, no, I know it's kidding. a jab at every I mean it's a jab at everyone, including myself. Generally, we like to try and be perceived smarter than we actually are. Basically, rather than asking a question, you want to assume you already know the answer or already know what's at play because That's just how neurotypicals operate, but at least like that's kind of the assumption I have in potentially this this issue. And I get the idea where if you walk into a situation, it's really easy to kind of assume potentially that you know what's going on. If someone were to walk in for us. Feeding our kids dinner, they might be like, wow, you guys are like really lazy with feeding your kids. Like, you guys are just giving them a frozen pizza. And it's like, well, yes, that's true. We're giving them a frozen pizza,
0: a fully cooked frozen pizza. Let's, oh, yeah, let's yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're good.
1: But, but I mean, like, the reason, sure, it's like one of the main food groups that our kids eat. We also tried to feed them two or three other meals right before that and all those got shot down so it's like we kind of have like our (laughs) meal of last resort if you call it where it's like the final thing like okay if you eat this hopefully it'll last you to the next day and then we can kind of start this whole thing over again so i mean i think that if you just catch the last half of it people seeing like oh wow a family's just feeding their kids just like pizza and calling it a day it's like well there's other things that are going along like we're trying to find other ways to kind of get things situated
0: yeah one of the ones that really gets to me is when people call out our food waste that bothers me because like our kids will not eat mostly anything really so we're always trying to accommodate them with whatever we can to get them to eat and so that often means we have to try a couple different things we might use snacks instead of full-on course meals and we have to go through different options before we'll find something that they're willing to eat and because of that We end up having to toss a lot of food because I'm a really picky eater, too. I'm like really got a restrictive diet just because of my sensory issues. And we can't really try feeding it to them again because they just won't eat it. And we're also always trying to expand their food choices. So we're taking risks by purchasing things that they've never had before. And we're trying to expand their palate. We're trying to get them to try new things. But more often than not, they reject that new thing. And so we're having to toss that, too. We do get judged a lot about that. We get judged about being like wasteful with food. And I'm like, there's really nothing I can do about that. I can't force my kid to eat it. And I also don't want to stop offering them new options. Like I want to continue to offer them potential new things because you never know. Like one day they might try it and they might like it. And that has happened. And so for me, that's not really something that I want to stop doing. But that was just like another thing I noticed.
1: And it's absolutely true. And it's because there's weird foods that they latch onto that you wouldn't necessarily think our oldest loves banana peppers raw onions loves pepperoni if you have a pyramid of food that's the bottom like, <laughs> like just pepperoni is the bottom that's the base but it's like she's she's four i'm not really sure a lot of four-year-olds that are all about banana peppers raw onions and pepperoni like She insists on her pizza and you think like most young kids, I feel like kind of resort to just kind of like a cheese pizza, but I don't know how we ever got her to try pepperoni. I mean, just trial and error and same thing with all the other things that she loves. One day she decides to try it and then she's obsessed with it. So we try a a few different things, but sometimes we're successful and most of the time we're not, but I guess you have to keep trying. Otherwise you're basically just eating the same, same thing every day.
0: And to get back to the article real quick before we start wrapping up, one of the things that I wanted to pull out from this was that both parents and autistic adults are essentially on the same page in terms of feeling that stigma. And both of them have reported to the researchers that their biggest struggle is really having to deal with the weight of social disapproval, exclusion, stereotypes and judgment. I mean, I don't know about you guys listening, but I personally have experienced all four of those. And I do feel like it is a very real problem or very real struggle. One of the things that I think needs to be done about it is to really start spreading more awareness about this side. And one of the things that people don't often talk about is that we need to really start feeling a little more comfortable about opening up about how these things make us and our children feel. And I know that that's something that's really difficult, but it's something that I honestly have just learned to do This past year, I have personally struggled with a lot of stigmatization and basically in the workforce growing up several jobs that I've taken. I have always been bullied and harassed in a sense due to my autism, but I didn't know I was autistic at the time. And so I didn't really know what to do about it. And so this past year, I finally decided for the first time to kind of come out to my employer and kind of come out in a big way. I gave a big old presentation in front of my entire company about the importance of inclusion in the workforce, and I talked specifically about cognitive disabilities like autism. And at the end of that, I basically came out as autistic and ADHD to my entire workforce, essentially. It has really opened these doors for me where now I feel a sense of freedom to be myself. Like, that mask has been lifted. And because of that, I feel like I am fighting the stigma. And the way you do that is by having these conversations. It is scary. It is uncomfortable. You never know if you're going to feel rejection for being open about it. You don't know how people are going to react. But I will tell you, when I did that presentation, immediately after I finished, my inbox started getting flooded with messages from other employees who were also experiencing the same sort of stigma and were also too ashamed to come out and talk about it. And they started messaging me, telling me how appreciative they were of the fact that I spoke up, how alone they felt about it, how they have never had the courage to come out and really talk to people about their disabilities. And to me, that just goes to show there are a ton of us out there and we're all just really quiet. But nothing bad happened from this. Like, if anything, me coming out to my company really turned things around for me like people started to consider my disability a little bit more when it came to meetings or considered it a little bit more when it came to communicating with me and now I feel comfortable to push back when I feel like something that they're saying or doing is not clear or I need a little bit more feedback etc. So I think the first step and the ultimate most important step to fighting stigma is to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to have the courage to tell the public and tell people what the stigma is, that it exists, how it impacts us as autistic adults, how it impacts us as parents, and how it's impacting our children. Without talking about it, we can't even begin to make any sort of changes to address it.
1: We raise a good point. I think definitely having the conversation because how many times do we come across someone randomly and then they're statement to us is, oh, my nephew, my cousin, my whoever is autistic. And that's why it it really um, sticks with me as far as like the number of individuals that are diagnosed. We keep finding out that it's like actually a larger population than we originally think. Because I think when we first started on the journey, it was like one in 54. And then it dropped to like one in the 40s. And I think it's something in like the 30s now. I don't really know exactly what the number is.
0: One in 36 now.
1: Right. But if you figure, okay, one in 36 people is diagnosed, then there is a wider group of people who you might not be autistic yourself, but there is a group that, Is socializing with you or family members. I mean, it it happens so often that whenever I'm having a conversation with someone, they'll mention, "Oh, I have a relative that is autistic," and it's like, "Wow, okay, it's kind of like a small world that it impacts this many people." Yet, no one is choosing to really talk about it. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, we almost need like a uh, like little GPS locator so we can like
0: what a terrible transition. (laughs) (laughs) They're getting worse. What happened? Before we wrap up, I want to give another reminder about the AngelSense GPS tracking device. Check it out. Are you struggling with how to keep your eloping child safe? Check out AngelSense. AngelSense comes activated and ready to use straight out of the box and works with an easy-to-install app for your phone. It provides GPS location monitoring and both one way. And two-way calling to help you keep tabs on your little one. It also has an optional SOS button your child can use to contact you directly in case of emergencies. The Sense monitor not only provides your child with safety, but it also comes with the gift of peace of mind. Check out the link in the description box below. So quick reminder... Our listeners get a free AngelSense GPS tracker during Autism Acceptance Month, which is this month of April 2023. By visiting our special link, I'll have it posted in the description. We've also partnered with Star Soul for the month of April to bring you limited edition Autism Acceptance tees. And these feature the phrase beautiful. So it's really cute. The art's done by an autistic child. And best part is 100% of the proceeds support our programs at Autism Wish. Links for that are also available in the description box. So before we wrap up, I just want to reiterate that stigma is something that is still very much a real thing, even here in the United States. It's crazy to think about because you think that America, the United States, has so much autism awareness compared to other countries, which it does. I was t- Told that even in France, Eileen Lamb in the interview we did with her, she noticed or mentioned that in France they're f- even further behind in the autism awareness piece than we are here in the United States. So there's still a whole lot of work to be done when it comes to even just the awareness piece. But I think when it comes to the stigma in particular, I don't feel like that's even being discussed. When we're talking about autism acceptance and we're talking about autism awareness, the topic of stigma rarely comes up. This is something that needs to change and something that we really need to start working on as a culture.
1: You mentioned before kind of the elephant in the room. It's kind of the thing that's swept under the rug. No one really wants to address that there even is a stigma or or should force people to kind of get out of their comfort zone a little bit and have challenging conversations or try and be a little bit more friendly to individuals that you perceive that might have a disability. They are trying as best they can. So, I mean, it would always be great to at least put an extra effort and kind of assisting as best you can.
0: The world is not ultimately going to change for us. So we need to go out there and change it I hope that you guys consider talking about stigma with either a loved one, family, friends, whoever it may be. Start small, start with someone you're comfortable with. Have that discussion and just have a heart-to-heart about how being a parent of an autistic child or being autistic yourself impacts you and how other people are judging you or shaming you because of it. It needs to start with a conversation and then kind of grow from there. Hopefully this was helpful. That's it for this episode. And I hope you all stick around for next week. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.